This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Shulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Dr. Karen McGinnity, the founding director of the Love and Tradition Institute and a researcher at Brandeis University, here to talk about her new book, Marrying Out, Jewish Men, Intermarriage, and Fatherhood, published in 2014 by Indiana University Press. Karen, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. So maybe tell us first, what is the Love and Tradition Institute? Excellent question. The Love and Tradition Institute is a brand new startup, 501c3, which is a nonprofit organization, and it's committed to opening hearts and broadening minds through accessible education about Jewish intermarriage and gender. So, Karen, your first book was called Still Jewish, A History of Women and Intermarriage in America. So what has drawn your interest so much to intermarriage, and how do you see the relationship between that book and this book? Well, my interest in intermarriage began at a very young age when I had a fraternal aunt who married someone who wasn't Jewish. I was raised by two Jewish parents, and um, I observed things in her home and the way my cousins were raised that kind of planted the initial seed. And then throughout my life, uh, both in terms of my parents who um, divorced and subsequently each remarried non-Jews and remained married to them. And my own intermarriage in 1992 all contributed to my personal curiosity. And then uh, when I was in grad school looking for a dissertation topic, I thought, well, surely, you know, this has been covered. Uh, But lo and behold, uh, when I did some initial research, I realized that while intermarriage had been studied uh, and discussed uh, by sociologists and demographers, very little had uh, been done historically and really nothing that looked at gender um, or if gender was included, it was considered immutable, you know, something that, that wouldn't change. And so that uh, inspired me to write the first book. Uh, which then led to this book, uh, because when I talked about Still Jewish, a history of women and intermarriage in America, people would ask me, well, what about my brother? What about my son? What about my nephew? And I realized that in order to truly understand the meaning of the relationship between intermarriage and gender, we need to understand both sides of the coin. Right. So I think... One of the things you're saying um, is that gender history doesn't doesn't necessarily mean a history of women. 
Absolutely. Uh, it does not mean a history of women. It, it, the word gender you know, has a history of its own. Uh, it's also uh, sometimes conflated with women. So when I tell people that I, I study gender, they think, oh, you study women. Well, no, actually, I study um, all genders uh, and I study the relationships between them and I study the roles and attributes uh, that are socially uh, ascribed to them. So it's it's very important to understand that uh, gender uh, is not just about women. Uh, it's about everybody. And also uh, not to conflate it with the term transgender, which means something all, altogether different. Right. Uh, so this book is about American Jewish men who intermarry. So, so when when these American Jewish men intermarry, what usually what happens according to sort of the common assumption? Well, the common assumption, and this uh, unfortunately has yet to fully be uh, eliminated, uh, are these uh, sort of negative equations of intermarriage with assimilation and uh, loss to the Jewish people. Uh, there's this idea that Jews who intermarry, whether female or male, frankly, um, don't care about their Jewish identities, uh, that they do not or do not want to be involved in the Jewish community or raise Jewish children. Um, and what I found uh, with regard to both women and men, but focusing on men, uh, is that that's not, in fact, the case, that uh, intermarried Jewish men uh, do care very much about their Jewish identities and that those identities are fluid and can change over the life course and over the course of their marriages. Right. So before we get into specifics, um, tell us what the research process was. Uh, what did you do to, to research the book? Uh, and tell us where you did it. Sure. Well, as a social scientist, and someone who focuses on qualitative research, I needed to uh, initially apply for uh, institutional review board uh, approval. And that is because I would be um, studying human subjects. And I put out a call for participants. Uh, at this point, I was at the University of Michigan's Frankel Center for Judaic Studies. Um, where I was the inaugural Berman postdoctoral research fellow in contemporary American Jewish life. And when I put out the call for participants, um, I tried to cast a wide net and to reach people who might not otherwise um, hear about the work. And uh, people, uh, you know, colleagues, as well as uh, friends, Kind of warned me. Well, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be hard to, to find people who are willing to talk about their intermarriages, and and there were all these gender assumptions thrown around about um, men not wanting to talk about their personal lives or not being the best communicators. And uh, interest interestingly, um, the initial process uh, really uh, dismantled some of those assumptions and and turned things on their head in the sense that uh, my inbox filled up, my voicemail filled up, and men were very interested in, in sharing their experiences and sharing their, um, their life stories with me. So that, that, that's how the process began. 
That's right. So you so you interviewed about fifty men in Ann Arbor. Is that right? Oh yes, yes. About location. Yes, actually, uh, forty-one men and thirteen women. Right. So what can we uh, sort of extrapolate from? you know, small college town to the larger American experience? And what should we sort of be careful about generalizing? Mm, excellent question. Well, first of all, um, Ann Arbor is a place that is very, um, word I'm looking for, people, you know, move in and out uh, quite frequently. So it's it's not some place where you'd find people that have, you know, been born, bred, and lived there their entire lives, although there certainly are some folks um, like that. So because uh, people come from all over the U.S. uh, as well as abroad, um, there are a lot of different backgrounds represented uh, in the sample of men. That said, um, you know, it is a qualitative study, um, so it's not representative of all intermarried Jewish men. And some of the women who uh, who married them. However, uh, that being said, it is uh, sufficient, uh, more than sufficient, in qualitative terms to determine patterns um, among those men and to extrapolate from those from those patterns. Mm-hmm. In addition, uh, Ann Arbor is, uh, you know, well, it's 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 a wonderful. Um, many city of its own, it, it also speaks to other uh, environments where there are, you know, either a major university or similar sized Jewish population, or there, there are other things that make it transferable uh, to other places. Right. So you, you spoke to sort of two cohorts, right? One is uh, men born between the two world wars and one was sort of the baby boomers. Uh, what were the, what were the differences? What were the similarities between the two cohorts? Uh, well, the men who intermarried earlier um, were not as, you know, inclined to use terms like equal um, partnership or, or um, weren't as focused on uh, egalitarian, marriage or parenting as men who intermarried uh, later in the 20th century. Just just to be clear, the history itself is from 1945 to present. So I'm less focused on when the men were born than I am on the decades in which they intermarried, um, because that provides more of the backdrop in terms of the historical context in which their married lives played out. Um, So I will say that um, for men who married earlier in the century, um, they were more apt to, um, you know, want to, say, have their wives convert if possible prior to marriage, uh, whereas men who intermarried later um, were less focused on um, their wives their their wives choosing to become Jewish like before the marriage. That was something that potentially happened afterwards if it happened. Mm-hmm. And, and and did they did the two groups intermarry for the same reasons? Yes, in the sense that people 
and these men in particular intermarried because they fell in love with someone who didn't happen to be Jewish. Uh, but also, contrary to some popular myths about Schick's appeal or the, you know, the so-called um, blonde bombshell that lures Jewish men away from their, their Jewish families and communities, um, one of the most significant patterns that I found was men intermarrying um, because of influences from their childhood experiences and relationships with their parents, not stereotypes about the other, um, that, that it was really based on their earlier lives that influenced their the particular kinds of women that they married and how their intermarried lives evolved. So a major argument in the book is, I think, that it's harder to be an intermarried Jewish man than an intermarried Jewish woman, right? Why is that? Yes. Oh, gosh, I am delighted that not only did you read the book, but you, um, you know, captured that um, crucial piece of it. Yes, um, that is in large part because uh, intermarried Jewish men um, have uh, these dual pressures on them. One is to uh, be the the primary breadwinner, to be the, you know, the prototypical American male um, who's uh, earning and, and um, who's really succeeding professionally. Um, and at the same time, um, to be someone who is, you know, a match, someone who is um, a good person, a person of integrity, and, and someone who's involved with their family. And that is within the larger American context that puts uh, pressure on men in ways that uh, women don't experience. So that's part of it. The other part of it is that uh, there is a lack of consensus with regard to Jewish identity uh, between the branches of Judaism. Uh, and that lack of consensus means that some children of intermarried Jewish men are considered Jewish and some children are not, depending on um, which community or, or which uh, synagogue an intermarried Jewish man uh, might want to affiliate with. So. The issue of patrilineal descent um, is one that makes it significantly harder for intermarried Jewish men combined with this pressure on them to be professionally successful and major breadwinners. Right. See, I was thinking this is sort of a, you know, uniquely American phenomenon because of all the, you know, individual choice and the ability to cross boundaries and, you know, sort of marry whoever you want. But it also seems sort of a very um, American economic type of uh, situation where, you know, this, this, the book kind of gave me the Jewish, uh, the Jewish version of some of the things that you read, you know, Anne-Marie Slaughter, Deborah Spar, Hannah Rose, and all these things about, um, you know, how the family is impacted by sort of the economic structure. So is there sort of a Jewish experience to that? Absolutely. And, and that's exactly right. You know, the Jewish uh, experience is not, immune from or exempt from the larger American experience. So um, intermarried Jewish men are um, living in this larger American context 
And um, the the Jewish twist, I'd say, is that <clears throat> they're experiencing the the pressure on the one hand to prove themselves as American men um, at the same time that they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Jewish father? What does it mean to be a Jewish husband? And there's a kind of um, Jewish masculine mystique uh, that I identify, which um, unlike Betty Friedan's uh, feminine mystique, which had to do with, you know, overeducated and underutilized um Female minds, and in this case, intermarried Jewish men are are really torn between the two things that are expected of them as both American men um, and of Jewish men who, you know, have this wonderful reputation as great husbands, um, and yet, you know, they they can't be as involved. Uh, or I, I shouldn't say they can't, but it's difficult for them to really create the kind of uh, life-work balance um, and to be as involved in the Jewish community um, as the community would potentially like them to be. Right. What was the, what was the most surprising thing you found in your research? Hmm. Well, you know, what you mentioned before, absolutely, I think for me, I didn't anticipate that it would be harder to be an intermarried Jewish man than an intermarried Jewish woman. So that was certainly a significant surprise. Um, but also, I think what I discovered that surprised and, and really concerned me uh, was the, the pain and the anger that many men feel. And the, the pain and anger relates to the ways in which they feel that they've been um, kind of disenfranchised um, from from Judaism or from the Jewish community or assumed to no longer be interested after they've become a bar mitzvah or or since they've intermarried and uh, their experiences uh, migrating, as I write about in the book, um, from one affiliation to another, uh, which is something that intermarried Jewish women didn't do, um, in order to find, you know, a, a truly welcoming and accepting community. So that was surprising to me because I wasn't aware of um, the the real angst that many men have experienced, and uh, that was. <clears throat> an eye-opening um, thing to learn and something that I have, uh, I has greatly increased my empathy level. Mm-hmm. I want to talk briefly about each of the chapters, but before we do, I just want to ask you, uh, what have been the reactions to the book from the Jewish community or, or the Jewish communities, if you, if you prefer that? Um, and what do you think that says about sort of the pulse on where the community is on this topic? Mm-hmm. Well, Reviews have been positive. <laughs> that's always good. Yeah, that's always good. Yes, one always hopes for that. So that says something. Um, and I certainly receive and welcome invitations to speak about my work. And uh, that says something as well. And I've had a number of experiences where the talk that I've given and the, the, the following discussion that I've facilitated has been, you know, the first program 
uh, on the topic of intermarriage uh, that the shul has done or they haven't done anything in a while or kind of uh, broaching the topic and then hoping that it'll uh, lead the way for further discussions. Um, but as far as the pulse is concerned, it, there's an irony because on the one hand, intermarriage is pervasive. It is a reality. And yet on the other, um, there's still a hesitancy to discuss it, you know, in, in public as if uh, one might catch it or it's otherwise um, still uh, something that one needs to or should avoid in some way, um, which is ridiculous because there's no avoiding it. It, it exists. Um, and I think that that um, impression, unfortunately, is one that uh, intermarried couples and families sense. And if nothing else, it serves to alienate them rather than draw them closer to the Jewish community. Um, so I think, you know, there are differences also, and this is very important to point out, um, among the, the various um, communities, uh, plural, but also the, uh, the organized Jewish community in terms of the various um, denominations or branches of Judaism with the reform movement um, and reconstructionist movements making rather grand strides and the conservative movement having uh, a productive uh, Keruv uh, component to it, but um, still, you know, there being um, a lot of work to be done in terms of um, increasing the comfort level of uh, folks who might want to be members of uh, conservative synagogues, um, but the message isn't out yet that, you know, they'd be truly welcome there. And frankly, that their their children, you know, may or may not be considered Jewish. Right. The first two chapters kind of go together. Uh, the first one's called Professional Men, and the second one is called Sex and Money. Um what what does fatherhood sort of change uh, for for these intermarried men? What fatherhood does is give them an opportunity to reflect on their own Jewish identities and really uh, to put them in the position of either stepping up to the plate in terms of raising Jewish children and doing the work that's involved with that in a hands-on way um, or kind of um, shifting that responsibility onto the shoulders of the women who have married them according to contemporary American um, gender norms. So it, it certainly, it influences them in the sense that it accentuates their Jewish identities because for many they've, been adamant about raising Jewish children and, uh, and, and made that very clear, uh, oftentimes prior to actually getting married. But now is when the, you know, the rubber hits the road in terms of, well, who's going to do it? And it's an opportunity for intermarried Jewish men to learn alongside their children. Um, but that requires a certain time investment and, uh, comfort level in in doing that, 
And that's difficult when American men uh, have this pressure on them to, you know, to know everything and to be um, to be literate, to be competent and, you know, not to stop to ask for directions. Right. Uh, in chapter three, you interview the wives of these Jewish men. And I think you said you say originally you hadn't planned to do that. Um, so w- what made you decide to do that? And what do you think uh, you, you gained from it? I didn't initially uh, plan to interview any of the men's wives because I was I was focused on Jewish men and and I thought I, I didn't it didn't occur to me uh, quite frankly and in part it didn't occur to me because when I interviewed intermarried Jewish women for my first book Still Jewish none of the women suggested talking to their husbands and um, I'll share just one little piece of a conversation when I would ask about the husband's backgrounds. I remember one woman saying to me, Oh, he's an engineer. You know, that, that was the explanation about his religious and cultural background, that he was an engineer. And that was pretty much it. Whereas when I interviewed intermarried Jewish men over and over again, they would say, you have to talk to my wife. You have to talk to my wife. And I realized that, uh, their wives were such an integral part of their of the men's stories, and in large part because they were shouldering um, the you know much of the domestic and, and childcare responsibilities um, that that men were not or could not based on their work schedules um, and and based on the disproportionate amount of uh, labor that that women do relative to men in the in the domestic realm and therefore i realized that i ha- i really had to talk to their wives and uh, i i gained a tremendous amount from speaking with them because in some ways it validated uh what the men had previously told me uh about their own intermarriage experiences but it also most importantly uh provided insights into intermarriage from the perspective of the so-called other and why these women marry Jewish men. Not just why Jews marry people who aren't Jewish, but why do people who aren't born or raised Jewish marry someone Jewish? And it um, imparted on me the significance of just how crucial it is to, to understand intermarriage from the outside in as well as from the inside out. All right. So uh, chapter four looks at um, intermarried Jewish celebrities and popular culture um, depictions of um, intermarriage. How does that chapter uh, help us put the other three, the other three chapters in context? (laughs) Well, you know, intermarriage uh, is, is a hot topic for Hollywood as much as it is for the organized Jewish community. And by that, I mean, it has appeared uh, on stage and, and, and the silver screen um, from the beginning of, of sound movies and, and, uh, and before that. And what it does is by understanding the ways in which intermarriage has been portrayed, uh, it gives us a chance to look at how those, portrayals, those representations, um, both reflect intermarriage reality, 
um, and reinforce stereotypes. So the pairing, for example, of Jewish men um, with um, with the so-called shiksa or with, you know, the, the, the blonde woman, um, think of um, Paul Newman and um, his co-star in the film Exodus. I mean, it's just, it's rampant. <laughs> and at the same time, which very, which is very interesting, uh, the representation shifted from focusing initially on intermarried Jewish women to intermarried Jewish men, um, so much so that intermarried Jewish women were really eclipsed by intermarried Jewish men. And, and that contributed to the to the common assumption that intermarry that Jewish men intermarry more than intermarried Jewish women, which today we know is is no longer um, accurate. That that the genders uh, intermarry in, in roughly um, roughly the same at the same rate within the same age bracket. So it's it's very important to to understand the ways in which images you know influence our understanding of something and the ways in which uh, Fiction, you know, is fiction, <laughs> uh, and and to differentiate uh, fact from fiction. Well, Karen, we've taken up a lot of your time. So, uh, any parting thoughts you'd like to share, and what are you working on next? Well, my parting thought, I'd say, is the essential work that needs to be done in terms of educating fathers about the value of their Jewish identity building inside the home and, and really emboldening them as involved parents and kind of leveling the Jewish parenting field to enable intermarried Jews of any gender to effectively raise Jewish children. And the reason that this is so important is because as studies have shown, uh, both, uh, by, by colleagues, um, at Brandeis and, and elsewhere, um, millennial children of intermarriage are less likely to be raised as Jewish with intermarried Jewish fathers than they are with intermarried Jewish mothers. And therefore, you know, in order to ensure that um, everyone has the opportunity to raise Jewish children and to be raised Jewish, um, we really need to make uh, Jewish parenting egalitarian. And that is uh, that is what I'm working on next. That is um, one of the um, core goals of the Love and Tradition Institute. Great. Karen, I want to thank you for being on the show today. The book is Marrying Out, Jewish Men, Intermarriage, and Fatherhood, published in 2014 by Indiana University Press. The author is Karen McGinnity. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.